Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from sleepless cyborgs to sentient spires, and today we're talking about the satyrs of Theros. Hey, Brian. Hey, Will. It's back to Theros again. It's a really cool setting. It it's is. A, it's a very cool setting. I'm into it's it. It's been my biggest surprise because, like, uh, as a newer player, I get overwhelmed with the amount of text that comes out for D&D. Mm-hmm. Like, how can yes. I possibly, like, consume and use all of it? But if you can <laughs> find the time and get in there, it's it's been really awesome. So thank you. Thank you, the Dungeon Cast, for making me aware. um i'm happy with theros uh, and i am surprised as well more so just because ravnica i found rather underwhelming um so i wasn't really sure what to expect from the um, magic the gathering settings but theros uh really brought it and i love it and uh, quite frankly i'm i'm afraid no other magic the gathering setting is going to measure up but yeah maybe maybe not i mean everything has a best of you know it's class um i feel like ravnica is more of a tool than like a a setting like it has some really good utility to it in terms yeah. of like Im- importing things into your game rather than theros which is like a setting to play in right no i i agree but let's get into it so we have another race that we've actually talked about before in the show um today satyrs um, in our original yeah. satyrs episode we approached them as they are presented in the monster manual as a monster they hadn't introduced the satyr as a playable race yet uh even though i was certain that they would eventually even then um, just because they've done it in pretty much every edition. Um, right. We covered the mythological origins of this half-goat, half-human, going all the way back to the days of ancient Greece and the god Pan. We also covered the general lore about satyrs across the many classical uh, D&D settings, Forgotten Realms most specifically. Uh, these depictions of satyrs varied from whimsical tricksters to rapacious revelers and everything in between. Thero satyrs have a lot in common with both mythological fauns and their D&D counterpart but seem to err on the side of chaotic seekers of experience versus debaucherous gluttons unable to resist self-indulgence. It can perceptibly amount to the same thing, but for those whom intent is relevant, the distinction may be important. 
It may be Year of the Beholder, but it is also unofficially the year of getting more of this Theros book covered because I like it and it's awesome. So let's get into it. That's definitely exciting. Let's 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 get into it indeed. <laughs> indeed. So Theros satyrs are presented as beings that embody a fusion of humanoid civilization with the freedom of wild beasts, which is what is said about the demon lord Baphomet and a lot of the classic Minotaur lore. But I guess this is just not the uh, not demonically evil version of that duality. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because like that's basically gotcha. Baphomet's thing. Is like I fuse like the civility of man with the strength and brutality of of nature and i'm also super goddamn evil uh these guys are the same thing just like really whimsical about it i suppose um <laughs> satyrs look similar to humans with a range of builds forms and features but the goat-like horns uh they're with but the goat-like horns their pointed fate ears and furred lower body sharply distinguish them from uh, obvious humans satyrs solid horns connect to their heads at the base of their skull which is interesting to me because i had to take a second look at some of the artwork after reading this and it's true the horns come from behind the head and wrap around the skull rather than protrude from the brow like you would usually see with a lot of these horned races um isn't that like where your nervous system is back there like um i mean it would protrude out of the occipital lobe of the skull um so i mean your your vision is really controlled from the back but I don't know. Either way, like I, I was honestly looking at it. It's a good look, and somehow it comes across as more friendlier and inviting than the horns of a tiefling. Um, and maybe it's because yeah. the face looks more human and less obscured this way because the horns aren't really getting in the way of the brow. Um, I see. But regardless, thick fur covers their bodies from the waist down, shorter at the waist and longer below the knees, and their legs end in sturdy hooves. Um, short, soft hair grows down their neck and spine, along their shoulders, and on their forearms. So they're, like, they're hairy on the level of, like, dwarves or even a little bit beyond that. They're just a little thick. A little, a little thick. They got that little thick coat. I like yeah, the idea yeah. of a satyr tricking you from, like, behind a bush trying to trying to trick you into thinking it's just a shirtless dude. Uh, I mean, yeah, but the horns give it away. And the ears, too. Yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> I guess so. That's really going to be... The, the takeaway from that yeah. is uh, I, I see the horns. I, I already know. Yeah, exactly. And they're those uh, from behind the head horns, and only one race has those. So. <laughs> um, the satyrs of Theros have a well-earned reputation for their good spirits, gregarious personalities, and love of revels. Most satyrs are driven by simple desires to see the world and to sample its every pleasure. While their spontaneity and whimsy sometimes put them at odds with more stoic peoples, satyrs rarely let the moodiness of others hinder their own happiness. This can be a good thing, as it allows satyrs to live a free and independent life without being brought down by the negativity of others, but may stunt character growth if a satyr lacks the empathy to understand, accept, and allow others to experience their negative emotions in their presence. Sometimes when a friend is sad, the best thing to do is listen and not necessarily attempt to cheer up said friend. Uh, some satyrs may struggle with this concept. Satyrs view life as a blessing from the gods, and the proper response to such a gift, as far as most satyrs are concerned, is to accept it with relish. Yeah, if you're not there to move on and party, just move on and party, man. Here's some yeah. wine. Yeah. Come chill. Indeed. Indeed. What are you tripping about? I don't care about that. I care about this wine. Drink it with me. <laughs> yeah, that's very much how these satyrs can be. Um, that's hilarious. I don't care about that. I care about this wine. Um as one would expect of a people dedicated to the exploring of all positive sensation and experience, the satyrs of Theros throw the best parties. Uh, satyrs hold regular revels called Rollick Nights. These lengthy festivals are full of merrymaking, contests, impromptu performances, and song, all accompanied by good food and sweet drinks. 
Beyond okay. these celebrations, tales are also told of um, oh I oh I think I typed this in wrong. It's um, it, it says here Bakia. I think it was called something else. And now I want to double check. But these these special celebrations are revels that occur in deep caves and involve ancient sacrificial rites. Oh no! Satyrs, what? <laughs> we took a dark turn. Most satyrs yeah. say that these traditions were abandoned ages ago. Though I like how it's not that these okay. dark. Okay. Fist- <laughs> uh, should be abandoned. Should be in quotes here. I know, right? That's suspicious uh, as fuck. It is suspicious. I like how it's not that these dark facilities that went too far aren't just a rumor spread by people who fear what they don't know, but are confirmed to have actually been a thing at some point until it was quashed by greater Seder society. So it's like, it's not like, oh, no, like, that's just a rumor. We never did that. It's like, oh, no, no, no. We used to do that. We don't do that no more. <laughs> I know we're like Baphomet and we kind of did some dark ritual shit, but not, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. We're, out, we're yeah. over that. Have this wine. Don't worry about that. Don't look Don't in that cave. That. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, you know, it's an easy secret cult hook for an adventure. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, I so, heard you guys used to make a history check. Oh fuck, you guys! I remember reading some shit about like you guys killing people in this cave, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but that was like my fucking great 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 grandfather, dude." Well, I'm not gonna kill you. I'm not I mean, gonna, that's, I'm a, not gonna. that's a fair argument, but still a little unnerving. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're on your toes, man. You're like yeah. a paranoid warlock. Like Indeed. just not having a good time at the party. No, Everybody else is having a good time. You're just ready for the shoe to drop. <laughs> all right. So I'm ready to human... just blast. I'll fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> the humans of the police generally think of Satyr's Revels as raucous bacchanals where anything and everything might happen. This picture isn't necessarily wrong, but it is incomplete. There's more to a revel than debauchery for debauchery's sake. Uh, For satyrs, revelry is a way of life. It's the delight in the small things often taken for granted uh, in the day-to-day. The song of a bird, a warm breeze, the smell of a tasty pie, relaxing by a river in the sunshine. There is a mindfulness to it and a presence of mind to it. Uh, Life freely offers these gifts, and for a satyr, they are more valuable than gold or glory could ever be. To revel means to forget the constraints of time, to let go of the future and past, and to be wholly in the present moment. For satyrs, encountering life with all the senses honors the gods, and most importantly, it feels really good. Driven by instinct and intuition, most satyrs prove unpredictable, following their sense of wonder wherever it leads. It's a fine line to walk, but they wouldn't have it any other way. I see them chilling on the riverside, like, don't talk about your problems. Look at that bird. It's flying in the sky right now. It's fucking partying. We should be like that bird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the fine line right there. It's like, um, it's one thing to enjoy everything. It's another thing to avoid all your problems because you don't want to deal with them. <laughs> yeah, so they're just living living in the present moment. They're trying to like, I wonder if they're trying to squash beef as it arises. Squash squash beef as it arises? What does that mean? Squash beef, you know. Oh, like squash people beef have... as it. Yeah, well, you're gonna, we're actually going to get a little bit into how they squash beef actually a little uh, after the short rest, which we're not, not doing quite be... yet. Not uh, not to be confused with beef squash from from Bob's Burgers. Gotcha. So most satyrs believe that the non-satyr satyrs are woefully burdened with the plague of seriousness. They oh. scoff. Uh, they scoff at the efforts of city builders and societal constructs with their laws and rigid right angles, and they poke fun at philosophers with their endless theories of things they can never know and their interminable discourse. 
Uh, satyrs feel that life is to be lived and experienced with all the senses, not thought about without doing or installing restrictions on behavior for ideals and concepts. Satyrs see the world and everything in it as a book of delights, and they want to explore every page. Uh, wow. Yeah. Due to Yikes. their unique... <laughs> Due to their unique perception on the ways of life and tied to their origins as alien fey-minded creatures, which is something we need to keep in mind, satyrs right. are known for their eccentricities. Some people spend too much time worrying over why satyrs behave as they do. But satyrs themselves simply are as they are, feeling no need to understand what drives them, much less explain it to others. There is a satyr eccentricities table that suggests a few tastes or proclivities a satyr character might possess. If one would like to use it, it is on page 24 of the Mythic Odysseys of Theros book. Abandon abandon ye, uh, ye, ye ties to material, unless it's for right now, for the thing right in front of you. Exactly. Abandon, um, abandon ye ties to the spiritual? What are they... So they're, they're leaning into the most, like, just pleasure, basically. Yeah, it's, you know, they're leaning into the experience and the um, the exploration of life and not not worrying about the why or the how and just more worrying about the what and the when, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're eating pasta. They're not, they're not they're, like, concerned they're not with how up the, the pasta was made. How, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know... You know that's really fine if that's if that's what gets them there. You know that's fine, but they make, definitely they make the doesn't fit my volcano. Philosophy. And then you view the egg whites and the eggs sometimes, and sometimes just the the yolks. Mm-hmm. I don't know when to do which. Are you ready to take a short rest? Yeah, it's short rest time. <laughs> <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, be sure to check out Super, Super Quest, Quest Saga. Saga, a future fantasy 5th edition D&D actual play podcast homebrewed and dungeon mastered by yours truly, me, and set in space. And I play in it, along with your special guest Jake and friend of the show, Josh Freeland. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Super Quest Saga! Back at it again. God damn it, Degonzo. Indeed. And <laughs> now it is time to talk about Seder Society and where they live. The Skola Valley. So nestled the in... Skola the Skola Valley? Not Skola Vale? Oh, Skola Vale. Nice. I'm sorry. Yes, it's a Skola Vale. I saw Vale. I, like, I read Valley. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe it's pronounced like that. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Nestled in the highlands of the... Orionad Mountains, the Skola Vale is blessed by Nylea, goddess of the hunt, covered in lush grass and dotted with copses of trees. Uh, Satyrs roam the comfortable valley with no need for permanent settlements. All their needs are provided for by the valley's magic. In hindsight, this may be a major reason the satyrs have the beliefs they do. I mean, if your every need is provided for by a magical (laughs) forest and a favorable goddess, it would be really easy to just focus on the pleasures of life. That's what I was going to say. I was like, well, no wonder you can just fucking chill. Like, exactly. you don't have to do anything. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, back to the Skull of Vale. Um, okay. According to the yeah. legend, Nylita was so taken with the valley's beauty that she poured the contents of her wineskin onto the veil to make it flourish forever. When wild goats drank of this wine, they became the first satyrs who made the magical land their home. While the Skull of Vale is a place of revelry, it isn't without its dangers, though. The satyrs themselves can be too raucous in their merrymaking, and monsters lurk in the shadows of the trees and the surrounding mountains. So, there there are <laughs> threats here. I'm trying to picture the transformation sequence that that <laughs> that became of drinking the wine. Yeah. You know that like when you drink booze and you're not used to it, and you get like that shiver in your like esophagus or whatever. You're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's that except when you're done with it, like you you fucking werewolf transformed into, your upper body indeed into a goat man. <laughs> a reverse werewolf, just the upper half. So the Skull of Vale is a wild place where majestic animals run free. Trees, vines, and bushes provide fruit, and Nylea's magic enhances the land. Plants and animals grow rapidly in the valley. The chaotic satyrs may uh, upend a copse of trees one night only to have it regrow by morning. Uh, most of the Skola Vale consists of greenery uh, rolling over gentle hills. Uh, during the day, the Vale's residents hunt small game and gather wild fruit for wine. Other pre- predators, such as bears, lions, and roes, hunt the region as well. Some of these beasts, whether predator or prey, have become Nyx-born legends that appear again and again through the generations, either as threats or the stuff of incredible meals. Satyrs speak both of Kes- oh God. Kexos Rexos, the braided lion, and Hope the pork bird with equal awe. So, do you remember what Nyx-born <laughs> creatures are? 
Yeah, um, they are created from the sky imagery. Yes, they're created from like the stuff of Nyx, and it's through like the repeated telling of stories and the belief in these stories of being real. And once like enough belief and faith in attention and time has kind of been poured into an idea, it will manifest. But like, you, yes. you can also tell when something is made up of Nyx uh, or is a Nyx born thing because um, it will appear as the thing, but also it, it will, all, parts of it will appear to be made of like the night sky. And oh my gosh, like in the physical world, it'll become real, but it will like have like patches of yes. fucking translucent like sky energy. Yes. That's crazy. And it, I like, I also like how we went from Texas. Kexus Rexos to Hulp. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, it was. Um, and and the thing is, because they're Nyxborn, they do tend to be very powerful because, like, they got that natural Nyxborn energy, which is, like, basically the same stuff the gods are made out of, so, in this world. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, so. so, you don't want to run into those No, you, you enemies, generally basically. don't. For two reasons. Number one, they are made up of the Nyx stuff, but number two is... Usually, if it's a story that's being told over and over again, it's usually because of something powerful, some great monster or something like that. So, yeah. That's what I was going to say. If you're, like, scaring the kids in your town with boogeyman stories, like, you don't want to do that too much. No, not in this world. Like, God, why tell bad stories ever? But, you know, I don't think... I'm not exactly <laughs> sure on how well understood uh, the Nyx-born stuff is in-world. Because, like, I'm going to tell a short story later in this episode where... Uh, a very famous satyr finds out that the gods are kind of like not re- well they are gods but like they're only gods because of like the belief that like birthed them and like he kind of goes right. on a little bit of a spree because of that so that implies to me that it, it probably isn't like widely known knowledge that it's the people's beliefs and stories that are making all these things real oh okay yeah sure yeah um but that's so it, it's it's probably a secret kept within organizations or something or like yeah just not something that's talked it, about it definitely seems like something that gods don't want people to know about so anyways yeah that would be uh that that could fare troublesome for them exactly I guess, and it does ways. and it does but but we'll get into it so back to the skull of ale the skull of ale's trees grow in twisted climbable shapes allowing inhabitants shady places to play and sleep Dryads protect the largest of these trees, especially from drunken satyr antics. Um, during the day, the copses are idyllic forests filled with the music of panpipes. At night, though, the forests grow more menacing. Nocturnal monsters roam the wood, particularly chimeras, cockatrices, and harpies, striving to pick off drunken satyrs wandering alone after a revel. Uh, satyrs rarely travel alone at night, believing that noise and music scare away evil, but revelers aren't always as wary as they should be. This is, Damn, that's cool. Um, um, yeah, we've covered all those monsters that, that you just said, except for chimeras, I think, right? Um, Cockatrices, harpies, mm, um, the dryad. We, I, yeah, we did the chimera, too. We've done them all. We did the chimera. How long ago was that? It was a while back. It was a while back. I think it was a shorter episode. I, I imagine they're similar, you know, in lore for Theros. Mm. You know, how, how wild can you really get about the Chimera. Well, I guess pretty wild. Yeah, wild the Chimera thing. doesn't have a lot of lore attached to it in general. It's just a big monster created through sorcery. It's got a lot of heads. Right. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, the satyrs of the Skull of Ale are wild and free. They have taboos, but not laws. Influence fluctuates constantly, and all are free to make merry in any way they please, so long as it doesn't impede on others' ability to do the same. Disagreements rarely escalate to violence or deep resentment and instead are typically turned into opportunities for public competition. 
irreconcilable issues, though, do happen at times and are usually solved by a strict application of the you go over there and you go over there policy. So that's kind of how they squash okay. beefs. They just make them go to different places. But true intentional crimes do happen, though are extremely rare. Um, they are considered to be violations uh, known deep in the satyr soul. If need be, revelry, revelry can be halted in an instant to help someone who's been hurt by another, and true criminals are exiled from the skull of Vale for life. Satyrs quickly bury negative thoughts, though, and the loss of one friend merely leads them to redouble their efforts to make more friends. Oh my gosh! So yeah, a little bit <laughs> yeah. callous. This, their their uh, revelry is a bit callous. Like you know what, Ed sucked. I'm gonna meet two more Eds and replace Ed. So yeah, yeah, and hopefully they won't be dicks. Yeah, exactly. Fucking so. Ed. <laughs> Fucking I'll Ed. call them something else, like uh, like Pat. I don't know. <laughs> They're just I just picturing like really entitled frat boys running around. I mean, kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yes. They literally, they're they're literally like painting lines down the middle. Like you stay over there, Ed. You suck. Yeah, that's that's very much how they are. So <laughs> though all satyrs uh, be revelers, they aren't literally always doing so. Uh, they also have societal roles they must fill. Some of these roles are religious, while others are practical, or and some are even defensive. Um, yeah, sometimes I gotta go deep down in the caves to make a fucking sacrifice. <laughs> so I've listed uh, quite a few here, and we're gonna get into it. So uh, the first we're gonna talk about are the Dawn Greets. Dawn Greets are satyr emissaries, explorers, and storytellers sent to other communities throughout the world. They arrange satyr-style celebrations wherever they go, spreading their people's carefree philosophies, praising Nylea, sharing news, and creating friends the Skull of Vale can rely on when necessary. So... This is radical. They're like a fucking party truck. Yeah, they're they're party ambassadors, uh, trying to <laughs> inspire people to party and come help them if they ever need help. Because don't they party so good? So next up we have Nylea's favored, um, a circle of satyr druids. Nylea's favored protect the skull of Vale, uh, restoring nature after damage by wildfires or two rowdy satyr parties. They also defend the Vale by growing dense underbrush and supporting populations of wild beasts at their territory's borders. So like. I mean, they're just druids. Okay. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the satyrs are super tied into the goddess of the hunt uh, and nature and all that other stuff. So, yeah, you're going to have a, a sector of them that, like, really, really fall into the druidic side of things. I like that it's not all just, like, fucking it up, you know? Like, they got to take yeah, care of some yeah, stuff. Exactly. Because otherwise, otherwise, we just go the Baphomet route, and it's just it's just bad. Um. Yeah. Next, we are going to talk about the Sibyls. The closest people satyrs have to leaders are their Sibyls, who are blessed with limited ability to see into the future. Sibyls warn the community when danger threatens the valley, uh, select dawn greets, and oversee the initiation rites of the Cult of Horns. Um, the oldest Sibyl is a gray-furred satyr named Cressa. She insists that the more she drinks, the further she can see into the future. A little oh, reminder yeah, that this awesome. is like a, a actual setting with actual characters who are alive now, very much like Forgotten Realms. That's cool. Um, and Cressa is one of them. Yeah, I almost like my brain was like, well, it doesn't have to be Cressa, like immediately. But I, oh, Yeah, of course, well, of course. This is a Theros yeah, setting, so it is Cressa. I'm, yeah, although the way I would run Theros, it would be like my Theros homebrew where Cressa doesn't exist because I'm going to have my own thing, but... I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him Paula. Indeed. So while most satyrs are known for their high spirits, love of rebels, and gregarious personalities, these outgoing people are neither naive or defenseless. Indeed, satyrs tend to 
delight delightedly torment stuffy individuals or pull pranks on unwary regular regularly pastimes that can predictably lead to scuffles. If a satyr can't talk their way out of a conflict or defuse it with a good-natured distraction, they can and will readily defend themselves, uh, their friends, and their homes in the School of Ale. With diversions aside, satyrs bend their cleverness toward tactics and methods of ending conflicts as swiftly as possible. This often means turning the same skills that make them famed celebrants towards battle, be it captivating performances or the aim developed through endless games of skill. Okay. So we have two essentially monster stat blocks for the Theros uh, um, Seder. Well, not we're not going to go over the, the the monster stat block, but there are two like types of Seder like combatants you might come across. One is called the Seder Reveler. The other is called the Seder Thornbearer. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about them right now. So the Seder Reveler, uh, pursuing lives of endless reverie, Seder Revelers eagerly participate in celebrations wherever they can find them. Their boisterous natures go far toward tempting others to eat, drink, and carouse with them. Faced with stodgier individuals or outright rivals, Seder Revelers don't, do not balk at using the magic of their music, dance, and other performances to charm opponents into joining their festivities. In the aftermath, these Seder's foes are more likely to suffer embarrassment and groggy mornings than any lasting harm. I see. This is kind of like yeah. a um, like like dr- like a drinking rival, pretty much, is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, and they use their bardic magic. Like if you come at them because you don't like the cut of their jib, they're going to use their bard magic to make you like the cut of their jib a little too much, and then wake <laughs> up and be embarrassed about it and go home. I see. Okay. It's like, oh, you want to you wanna fucking go? I'll make you go. I'll make you go all right, night. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, next is the satyr thornbearer. So not all satyrs live lives of pure whimsy. When forced to defend their friends and homes, satyr thornbearers are quick to take up their bows and strike against danger. Particularly amid the dense trees of the Skull of Vale, these satyr skirmishers cooperate in loose teams using guerrilla tactics to har- harass foes, then melt back into the forest. The blessings of Nylia aid the satyrs in protecting their home, and a single arrow from a thornbearer's bow might rain down like a volley from a whole army. So even in this regard, do they just get a leg up on everybody because their goddess just likes them so damn much. Nice. <laughs> For sure. But ever the creatures of positive emotions, once the threat is overcome, satyrs are quick to engage in their favorite part of the battle, the victory celebration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like that's, uh, that's going to be... Like every day is a victory celebration in a way. Indeed. As one would expect, when there is a mythical land of parties with a force that provides for you, people want to go to there. Um, some non-satyrs looking for pleasure without consequences visit the Skull of Vale, encouraged by dawn greets and tales of wild, wild revels. After spending some time with the satyrs, dark humored satyrs might invite outsiders to join what is called the Cult of Horns. Oh, if what? they agree... Here we go. If they agree, the non-satyr might be crowned with a circlet of horns, marking them uh, as, quote-unquote, stubs for their crown's stubby horns. Okay. A period of of hazing follows where the stubs are enticed to perform menial or humiliating tasks. When the satyrs grow bored or a respected sober satyr steps in, the hazing ends, which typically typically results in the stub later uh, waking up alone in the mountains. Oh my gosh. Most satyrs who Yeah, most satyrs who participate in such ungenerous behavior are chided and are themselves made to serve at the next revel. But the satyr memory for consequences is short and the tradition persists. As the as for former stubs, most never share details about their experiences, their secrecy contributing to tales of dark rites and sinister enchantments in the veil. Man, somebody that had a bad time in college wrote that wrote that Indeed. paragraph. Very much so. 
So finally, before we dive into the character creation stat block, I wanted to share a mythical story shared by the satyrs of Theros and presented in the mythic odysseys of Theros about the deity satyr Xenagos. So long, long ago, the satyr Xenagos savored his reputation for presiding over the most raucous revels his people had ever known. However, when fate led him to discover the nature of the gods and how they were, in truth, beholden to mortals for their very existence rather than the other way around, the whole order of the world felt like an enormous joke to Xenagos, and one at his and all other mortals' expense. With immortal power no longer feeling so out of reach, since all you need is enough people to believe, Xenagos set into emotion uh, a plan that would propel him to godhood, and he succeeded. Oh. His... His victory shook the Pantheon, but his victory ended up being short-lived. Heliod, um, basically a way overzealous, hyper-self-righteous Zeus, dispatched his champion Elspeth, who faced many trials, but ultimately killed the god satyr by driving the spear godsend through his heart. Many okay, satyrs sure. <laughs> many satyrs remember Xenagos as a satyr who lived life to the fullest and who played tricks that stirred up even the gods. Yet he's also an example of how bitterness can turn a great trick nasty and how schemes that get out of hand aren't fun for anybody. What satyr, what satyr wants the responsibility of being a god anyway? That's fair. So thought that was an interesting story. Um, anything, any questions before you start reading off the racial stat block for us? Uh, I mean, I like my, I like the picture I'm getting here. So they're, so outsiders of, uh, that are not cunning are basically treated with like, they're basically the butt end of the joke for not that if the, not if they're not, uh, cunning, it's like basically uh, outsiders that overstay their welcome. Okay. They're going to eventually prank them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, they're gonna be happy you're here. They're gonna be, but after a while, they're gonna be like, you know what? Let's prank this dude because he's having a little too much fun. <laughs> yeah, he's get out. <laughs> he's getting too comfortable. Okay, um, I got the stat or the the racial, uh, you know, stats up. So I'm ready okay. to go. Let's talk about it. Um, your stated character has the following racial traits: for your charisma score increases by two, and your dex score increases by one. Um, for age, satyrs mature and age about the same rate as humans. Alignment. Satyrs delight in a in living a life free of the mantle of law. They gravitate toward being good, but some have devious streaks and enjoy causing dismay. Uh, size. Satyrs range from just under five feet to about six feet in height, with generally slender builds. Your size is medium. Here's how to determine your height and weight randomly, starting with a rolling a size modifier. Your size modifier is going to be 2d8. Your height is going to be four feet plus eight inches plus your modifier in inches. And your weight in pounds is going to be 100 plus 2d4 times your size your size modifier. Uh, you're going to get a base walking speed of 35 feet. That's pretty good. Yeah, five um, more than normal. Your uh, this part just says fey. Your creature type is fey rather than humanoid, which that can be that can be super handy for um, spell casting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, ram, you can use your head as and horns to make unarmed strikes. Nice. Uh, mm, if you hit, mm, uh, mm. if you hit with them, you deal bludgeoning damage equal to one d4 plus your strength mod. You have magic resistance, which means you have uh, advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. This is cool. You're already you're getting a couple buffs here against magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, mithril, sorry, mirthful leaps. Uh, whenever you make <laughs> a long or high jump, you can roll a d8 and add the number rolled to the number of your to the number of feet you cover. Even when making a standing jump, 
this extra distance costs movement as normal. So I guess you're using your your super cool like animalistic lower body to to kick ass and jump good. Um, yeah, absolutely. Do you that know where be, the, that could come in handy in key situations? What's up? Do you know where the normal rules for jumping are? I know that's like uh, like a statted out thing. Is that in the DMG? Yes, it is in the DMG. I believe it's even in the player's handbook. Um, I just know that there's, uh, you can, I think it's double your distance for a running start. You need at least 10 feet of, of space to do a running start, though. Um, I know it's based off of, I think, your strength mod and or your athletics check. I'm not sure. I don't right. know it off I mean, the top of my head. I mean, that's what it is here. Yeah, I don't know it off the top of my head, but um, but if it were to come up in game, I would just pull up the rules real quick before cool. the jump so, is made. Reveler, uh, you have proficiency in the performance and persuasion skills, and you have mm-hmm. proficiency with one musical instrument of your choice. That's nice. Yeah, uh, cool. Get people to convince people to come party, and then you yeah, know, keep them staying around. <laughs> Hell with yeah, your, with your good uh, with your good pan flute skills. Yeah, I the see uh, bar to fun, be fun to pictures of trumpets going on here too horns and stuff oh, for sure. uh, you can speak read and write common and sylvan so right. these really are fey adjacent creatures are yes very much so very close to being fey mm-hmm. nice okay i mean they um, are fey basically do, they don't they live in this uh in this valley though is this valley considered the the skull of vale is that considered fey well in theros they don't really have a fey wild Okay, but there are a lot of aspects of the skull of Ale that are very fey-like. I mean, the the plants kind of like growing back overnight, the the overabundance of food, the overabundance of just general flourishing. Yeah, how the things types of turn creatures so, that are there, like the dryads yeah. and the chimeras and stuff. Yeah, and and the fact that the the place seems so beautiful and nice, and it is, but at night it turns so deadly and dangerous. The Feywild is very much like that. it looks gorgeous, but it's very deadly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I can see. I can see the the throw over here. Um, that's all I have for the the racial stat. Okay. Well, I think uh, we can get ready for a long rest then. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Hey everybody, welcome to long rest. We're getting into it. That was a that was a episode full of partying, and this beholder is about to get a a big dose of that. I think. Um, I think so. Yes. Uh, go ahead and tell him about the beam, Will. Okay, so I came up with today's beholder, uh, beholder eye beam, and we're giving it a party beam. So when this beam fires off from its one of its many eyeballs, one of its ten eyeballs, um, it's nothing but strobe lights, party music, and the thick smell of alcohol and sweat. And when it hits uh, its target, that target has to make a charisma saving throw against the un assailable urge to party hard yeah you're like frank the tank in old school like that just had like one beer after being sober for so long yeah you get hit with that yeah, beam and exactly. all of a sudden you're streaking through the quad <laughs> exactly you're streaking um, you start streaking through the beholder <laughs> the beholder fight <laughs> <laughs> um so want to want to tell the, the audience about the the nice feature that we pulled from today's episode yeah, so you guys know how uh, satyrs have um, horns on the top of their head, right? I'm not doing that. I'm doing, <laughs> but you also know how satyrs got uh, goat legs, right? I am doing that. <laughs> the satyr is a uh, the satyr is go- is goat from the um, below the chin, uh, you know, a fair amount, and then down from there is just furry, and it's got goat legs with hooves on the end, and they're not functional. Uh, this beholder's still gonna float. 
Uh, oh, so they they just kind of dangle there like baby's legs. They can they can uh, they can dangle there like baby legs, but if you get too close, instead of the bite attack, it could kick you. Okay, it could That's kick fair. you right in the dick. So be careful. It's got some natural some natural weapons. Okay, yeah, I'm some natural right, dick cool. kicking weapons. Hell yeah! So don't be All right. don't be I'm a in, dick. I'm or you'll that. get kicked. What what features what features do we got so far? Is this this is number three right? Uh, yeah, oh, I was I trying to now. I was trying to pull up the thing, and then I got distracted with talking about kicking people in the dick. So um, okay, so I'm I'm pulling it up right now. We are look right now. We are looking at um. Uh, we started with the Ettercap episode, so we got a web beam with spider-like tentacles. So it still has the real nasty um tentacles. It, they're not they're not actually they're not really tentacles they're anymore. Like they're just like spider legs. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for the way of shadow and the way of mercy, you just wrote down twisted tentacle, and I don't know what that means. Oh, that's our remember. sponsor for for that episode. Oh, okay. okay <laughs> I didn't. So I didn't actually update the the sheet after last episode. Oh, so we um, okay. we did give it a punch beam. Okay, it got a punch beam. Okay, what was its physical feature? No way. The mask the, was the, it wearing a mask? The physical feature I think was um, uh, no, it wasn't wearing a mask. Remember it? We we gave it like a Donzo hand. For the tentacle, it had an eye in the palm, uh-huh. and it did the the that. beam of mercy. So it's a, it was a healing beam. Oh, beam of yeah, ultimate it was a mercy. Beam of mercy. <laughs> oh, the beam of ultimate mercy. I love that. And oh, the feature was just the hand at the end of the tentacle. I forgot what we did for the feature. I don't. I don't know if that was the feature or not. Okay, well, that could have been we'll it. Check back. To yeah. That episode. And then today we got the party beam and the goat, the dangling useless goat hooves. Was there a cloak situation? With the shadow no. monk that you added, I don't, I don't think so. No, damn it! I have to go back and listen to my own show. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, all right. Well, we're we're making good progress on this beholder. Uh, before we leave you guys today, we're gonna do some Patreon shoutouts that are. I don't know if they're overdue. They feel overdue. So let's get to them. Yeah, we got we we've had like a lot of hiccups lately with um scheduling and stuff. So things are just like all over yeah. the place and like certain holidays, baby showers, recording remotely, all kind of happened all at once. Yeah, I had to like fucking suddenly move like an entire studio to like you know another place <laughs> so like, yeah we're yeah. i mean we're getting there um yeah but yeah please uh please forgive us for um you know kind of it was supposed to happen last recording session and then we had to with our new every time we do a new setup it's like we got to figure out new new things and there are new hiccups and we smooth those out so now this week we can finally get back to it so let me pull up this mm-hmm. i'm still pulling up this list i'm running out of things to say as i stall <laughs> okay. So, uh, where, what date am I starting from, Will? March 14th? March 14th, yeah. We got PAX. What up, PAX? Thank you, PAX. Um, thank you for uh, for upping your pledge, Black Wolf. Black Wolf. Thank you, Black Wolf. Uh, we got Patty O'Rourke. Thank you, Patty O'Rourke. Uh, let's see. We got some clown. <laughs> Thank you, some clown. Some clown in here giving us money. Thanks. <laughs> um, we got Brian with a Y. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad. Yeah, it's just, it just says Brian, but I had to. I, I, my name has an I in it for anybody that. Thank you, Brian with a Y. Yeah. So this guy, this guy is going a different route with the naming thing. Well, I guess you're whoever named you did. Uh, we also have Jeremiah the Bullfrog. Thank you, Jeremiah. Thanks, Jeremiah. Uh, we also have Luke. Slater. 
Thank you, Luke. I wanted it to sound like I was going to say Luke Skywalker for a second and then like kind of like break people's ankles oh, and go left instead of right. Oh, Zag on them, as they say. Thank got you, Luke. You. Uh, we got Robert D. Rowland. Thank you, Robert. Robert D. Rowland. Okay, thank you also, uh, Lori Kudstall. Thank you, Lori. Uh, oh, dang. We got we got ZP coming out the chute. Thank you, ZP. <laughs> thank you, ZP. Uh, coming out the chute, we also got uh, Mark Maurice. Thank you, Mark. And also, uh, Jonas Mahler. Thank you, Jonas. Is it Mahler? Would you say Mahler? M-A-H-L-E-R? I would say Mahler. Okay, yeah, that's okay. what I would say. I would say Mahler. Yeah. And we also have the exiled one. It's the exiled one. Thank you, exiled one. Oh, and we also got Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. I'm really getting my air horn warmed up. Shit. Indeed. Um, we also have uh, Miskin Basket. Thank you, Miskin Basket. Thank you, Miskin Basket. And uh, Joaquin Lippincott coming out the shoot. All right. All right, <laughs> Thank Joaquin. You, Joaquin. Thank you. Thank um, you. And then uh, last but not least, Brock Toughnut. <laughs> Thank you, Brock. Thanks, Brock Toughnut. <laughs> we appreciate all of you guys very much. I hope that you are enjoying your bonus content. Um, mm-hmm. especially those of you who came in at the $20 level that got the air horns that know, uh, that know what the fuck is up. You're going to get your special indeed mug. Um, and yeah, uh, we're using like a Google drive system. So like there are files uploaded to Patreon, um, that you can go check out still, but everything that we do, I converted it all to Google drive links, depending on your tier, you get access to one of them. So if you're like in the $10 tier, let's say, and you're getting access to all of our OST, including like the SuperQuest Saga stuff, those are all just like in an OST folder and you can go and like they're separated by show um, pretty much. And that's that's it. That's what it is. So like you can go check out all of our live play action adventures, the actual play stuff. I don't know what we call that stuff. Real play. I don't know. We recorded us playing Dungeons and Dragons. So like whatever you call that. Um we have a, a ton of that. Um, Flashbang and the Surgeon is one of those shows. Um, and then we have uh, we have the Dungeon Chats, which we should be getting back to pretty soon, as well as Vault Raiders 4 should be uploaded there, but there's still Vault Raiders 1 through 3. And uh, lots of other stuff. Um, with all of our scheduling stuff and like the, the hiccups and things that have been going on, it's been hard to get to Patreon uploads, but... I kind of foresee the smoke clearing a little bit for that uh, very soon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that that's the jam, guys. Thank you so much for your support. Um, you can find us on Patreon.com slash The Dungeon Cast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter where we are running a contest for the latest release from Wizards of the Coast. But now um, uh, Von Richten's Guide to... Uh, Damn it, Will. Raven Help Loft. me. Did I get it? Did I even get right. the first part Van right? Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Damn, I got Van Richten We're giving right. away two copies, one on Twitter and one on Instagram. Um, for Twitter, all you got to do is share a link to your favorite episode of this show or SuperQuest Saga with the hashtag DungeonCast, and you'll be entered to win. We'll be announcing the winner on the day of release. I believe that's May 16th. Um, it might be May 14th. But whatever the release date is, that's the day we'll be announcing the winner. And then there's another way to enter the contest, but that's on Instagram. Yeah, give us till like the day that book comes out. Give us till mid. We'll probably announce it before that, but give us till like midnight that day, 
So like 11:59 of the release day. That's sure. We we typically have to reach out to people to see if like they are real, <laughs> you know, when we yeah, I mean, selected. I don't know if I've ever reached out to someone that wasn't real on my end. Me neither, but like, so I have reached out to people <laughs> that didn't answer. So uh, it's like, okay, well, like, sorry, I, I have to pick somebody else. Yeah. So that, that that can take time. I usually try to give them like a fair amount of time to respond, but um, right, you know, that there's that. So if you're entering the contest, just like keep keep an eye on your inbox that day because it, it might be us. Indeed, it might be. Uh, do you have anything um, else before we call it a game? Uh, no, I think we can call it a game, and we'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye. The Dungeon Cast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.